The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Side Studies. All right. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. To the right, I have Cherry Lewis. Hello. Behind the glass, I've got Rocketman Andy Bishop. Hello. And I am waiting on Uncle AJ. Uncle AJ is supposed to be here tonight, so he's going to be a special guest, but he is talking to a, a coach at a college that his son... It's possible, you know, they're interested in him being mm-hmm. uh, on their defense, which is pretty oh, cool. cool. So he may be late. Uh, he may not show up at all. Who knows? Anyway, so we're going to get into this study. The Olivet Discourse, something that we've been talking about leading up to this, I'm really excited to get into it because my viewpoint is a lot different from others. And so, um, as I've said many times before, my beliefs uh, change over time. It just depends on what the Bible says. And so... This one was a toughie, you know. This one was a this one was a toughie for me because my entire life I've always anticipated the second coming of Christ. I've always looked at that. I remember being a little kid, and they told me, you know, Jesus is coming soon, and I'd be like, please do not come. Star Wars: The Phantom Menace will be out next week. Uh, you know, like, I want to see can, that one. Can and we th- just put this off a little? I know. And then after seeing Jar Jar Binks, I was like, man, I wish Jesus had came. You know. But then it was like, wait, the Revenge of the Sith. You know, like that. Oh, they're gonna make it all better. <laughs> you know. And then and then it was oh, you know, and that was actually long before that. I was like, please. I just want to have sex. What is sex like, you know? I remember Alice used to say, please, no, God, I just want to know what it's like to have a baby. You know, like... Every- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, there's... I've heard multiple people say that. I have one friend who, she was like, Jesus is going to come back. I'm never going to have gotten married or have children or anything. Yeah. Man, it sounds like heaven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, of course, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I guess whenever... From our perspective, you know, we, we've always been anticipating his coming. And, and preaching that you hear in churches, not all of them, just the ones that I've been in that I'm speaking from my personal perspective, have always said, you know, you need to get right with the Lord now before he comes back, because when he comes back, it's going to be too late, you know? And that that was always like, a, it felt like fear, you know, driven. Now, I mean, but from, to be honest, they are doing it from a loving way because they truly believe it. And because they believe that, they're warning everybody. You know, they're they're concerned. And so that's what they're doing. And yeah. it can seem like it's malicious, but it's really not. They're not being malicious. They are genuinely concerned that you could lose your soul is lost for all eternity and they don't want that happening on their watch. Yeah, I think I think most people are genuinely concerned. A few are malicious. Yeah. Um, a few mm-hmm. a few yeah. are very, very happy to castigate castigate wrong word uh are very happy to like throw shade at other people yeah sure they have that so we're going to get into it and uh if we get interrupted when uncle aj gets here we'll just let him jump right in the middle of it and this is a deep study so he's going to be completely lost (laughs) so 
Jesus, while he was here, you know, in, in Israel, he comes to this place towards the end of his ministry, right before we've talked about the triumphal entry, when he rolled on, on a donkey into the city and they were shouting for him. And then a week later, he was crucified, right? Well, before this, Jesus is in the temple and he comes down on the ruling class at the time, the, the studied men, the lawyers, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And in Matthew chapter 23, he absolutely goes off. And this is, it's almost like it's, it's driving it home, you know, to let them know where he stands. And he does, you've heard of the seven woes, you know, the mm -hmm. seven woes sounds like a, you know, like a new... Uh, what are the seven woes? The sort of thing that can be wrapped up quick? No, I mean, maybe, not really. I mean, this is, I would have to read the entire chapter 23. So I'll just ask the listeners to get some context because we're going into Matthew 24. But I can give you some ideas. Um, like he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is Matthew 23, 13. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter it to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So it just goes on. I mean, he is literally ripping these guys a new one in front of everybody at the temple. And so you can imagine how angry these guys are. He's telling them that, yeah, you're blind and you're hypocritical. You know, you're clean on the outside. You pray all a big prayers. Everybody, yeah. you know, has you sit at the nice, the best seat at the table. You know, you're the ruling class. You're the ones that are teaching all these people about God. And you're literally stealing from the people. And you're holding them to an accountability level that they can't even hold. And that's what Jesus is letting them know. But not only that, they they have always rejected anyone that comes and says these kinds of things to them. Like, you need to change your ways. This God is holy, God is love, and you are doing neither, yet you're still in charge. And he's letting them know those days are over, right? So as he continues just, you know, ripping them, you know, a new one, then he begins 
to lament. And that it's kind of a reminder of Jeremiah. Whenever Jerusalem was being sacked by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, Jeremiah laments. He knows what's happening and he he weeps over the city, over what's happening to God's people. And Jesus says in uh, verse 37 of chapter 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So then we get into chapter 24, and this is what I've been talking about, the Olivet Discourse. So the Mount of Olives is just a short walk away from Jerusalem. You walk out of the city, you go up. It's about a 30-minute walk in Jerusalem cruisers or in those sandals, you know, (laughs) And then you go up and you can see pretty much all of Jerusalem and you could have seen the temple. Now, you got to understand the temple was a magnificent structure. By the time Herod had rebuilt this temple, I mean, it was so opulent. It was it was shining to the point you could see it from a far distance. It looked like a city in the clouds. It was just, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous temple. And, it, and Jerusalem was a fortress, a mighty fortress. It was If anybody was going to come against it, if you escaped into the city, chances are you would be safe. And if you were under siege, they could last for years. They they had enough wherewithal uh, to do that. It was very well known. So, So imagine after Jesus just said all of these things, these harsh things to the scribes and Pharisees and his disciples are with him. Then here we start in Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You all see these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So, by the way I described the temple, you got to understand, they must have thought that that was impossible. This is a massive structure. It would be kind of like for us, like, during 9-11, you'd never imagine that somebody would take a plane and hit the building. But we saw how long they stood after that happened. I mean, I almost thought at the time, man, you know, how are they going to get the fire out? Because that building's not coming down. Yeah. But it did. You know, both of them did. But for this, to describe the temple, you're talking about massive, massive stone upon stone upon stone, you know. It was, it was a heavily fortified temple and city. Like the Titanic. Yeah. Church. Yeah, exactly. So when we get to verse 3, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? So, Cherry, the question, when will these things be? What are they asking? That first question, what do they mean by that question? When will these things be? The signs that Jesus was telling them when the... Uh, temple would be destroyed. Right. So that, if we keep it in the context of the story, they're asking him, okay, so when, when's this going to happen? So let's continue on with the question. He says, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So in order to understand what Jesus is about to say, we have to understand the questions. Okay. So Jesus is saying, 
or the, the disciples are asking, okay, so you just said that the temple would be destroyed. Well, remember, they believe that he's the Messiah. We're talking about the second coming of Christ. The disciples didn't know about a second coming. Now, he had told them, I'm going to be going away, and where mm -hmm. I'm going, you can't come with me. And they're like, well, what do you mean? But then he says, later, he says, I, I go to my, you know, my father, in my father's house and many mansions, you know, I mm -hmm. go to prepare a place for you and that where I am, you may be also. So he's saying, I am going to go, but I'm going to return. But they forgot. They didn't know. It's like they, their minds couldn't understand what he was talking about. So they're asking him these questions, but they're thinking that he's going to do this at any second. He's the Christ. He's been raising people from the dead, walking on water, casting out demons, making blind people see, making lame people walk. I mean, they know this man is incredible. And he said, I'm telling you the truth. This, uh, There won't be a stone left on this temple by the time it's done. And they're like, well, when are you going to do this? Like, When is the sign of your coming? When are you going to take this messiahship and start ruling forever? That's what they're asking. Mm -hmm. When is the end of the age? End of what age? They're asking, they're not saying when's the end of the world, because that doesn't make any sense to them. Am I right? Why would they say, when are you going to become the Messiah and rule forever? And when is the end of the world? Yeah, I mean, they don't have, they don't have the context for that yet. That's not even the context they're yeah. using. They're yeah, seeing they it don't. as when are you going to stop this apostate leadership in our country? Yeah. Come in as a ruler and reign, reigner of this Brainer. Is that a word? But the, but the idea that Christ, A, had a second coming and that B, that would herald the end of the world hadn't, mm -hmm. that was not an idea yet. That was, yeah, that wasn't a thing. Right. It wasn't a concept at that point in time to anybody. No, no, it wasn't. And the only one that could have possibly known it would have been Christ. Right. Right. But the disciples didn't. So Jesus has a perfect opportunity when he's answering these questions. And we got to remember, like I've told you with biblical hermeneutics, you got to keep in the time. Keep. You have to understand, Jesus was here, the temple was there. The disciples were there, the temple was there. They're on the Mount of Olives. They can see this temple. They're asking him, when are you going to be a Messiah? When are you going to take the you know charge? When he responds to them, he's responding to them. Keep in mind, he's talking to the disciples. He's not talking to you. Yeah. Right. Keep that in mind because what we do and we do it, we read it and it's like he's talking directly to us. Like, oh, okay, I see what's going so any minute this is what's gonna happen. And that's not what's going on. You have to do if your paradigm is to believe that the disciples knew of a second coming, it's incorrect. If your paradigm is, oh, they knew it didn't really know about the second coming, but Jesus did, and so he was talking in some sort of, you know, in a way that no one could ever understand him doesn't make sense. Jesus always answered the questions to them. The disciples, he in, in their innermost circle, he just, he would explain parables to them, even though others that were in the right. crowds, he didn't explain it to, right? So we know that his relationship with the disciples is intimate, and he's telling them this answer. So we can't separate these questions from the answers or from the time statements that he's going to give. It's important. Sure. Okay. And that, that makes perfect sense, right, Andy? I mean, but, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't, whenever yeah. you're, mm -hmm. when your paradigm is taught to think of it in a different manner, yeah. then the words mean other things. I think, I think some people are just taught the wrong thing. So they don't even have to bother with the context of, this is a conversation between 
two men in a place because mm-hmm. they're probably a lot of people are given the explanation right with the story itself. Mm-hmm. I think it has more to do with that than anything is like people aren't are not often given the time to think about these things for themselves because they're not. That's not how they're introduced. You're it's brought to you and it's like today we're going to learn about this thing. And so you get the you get the analysis, what's the right word? I guess it's analysis. You get the an- analysis right along with the introduction because that's helping, right? Sure. That's how you teach. Uh but I think that's where that comes from. If you just read it mm-hmm. without context, you would read it exactly how you're saying. Right. You would read it as in this guy's talking to these guys at this time in this place. Mhm. You have to be taught the other way. And I think that's it's not obviously malicious. It's literally like people trying to be helpful with their knowledge. But yeah, that's that's what's going on. People are given the analysis right with the introduction. Sure. It's a it's a system of thought that you have been given in order to interpret what you're reading. But if you weren't given that system and you read it for what it was, it would be a conversation that happened when Jesus was here and that's how he answered. But if you read it within the context, you're going to hear some time statements. It's important to listen to them, because if you don't listen to them and you imagine that it's that he's talking about the end of the world, the earth burning, which it can't mean that just in the context of this, the end of the age, when are you going to become the Messiah and reign forever and destroy the world? Like, that's not even a part of the narrative. The end of the age means the end of the ruling class right now this apostate nation that's against God that you've been saying these woes against, they just sat and listened to him do it. He's saying you're doing it wrong. So now they're like, all right, when are you coming in here to do this? It's time. Like, let's let's take it by storm. That's why Peter grabbed a sword. You know, that's why Judas was a part of the deal. Like he wanted to be a part of the power. So here's Jesus. Jesus answers them. So this is, and it says, verse four, and Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. Who is you? The disciples. Was that you? Okay. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Who is you? The disciples. It's not going to change, is it? We're going to keep this in context. It's not talking to you guys here in Hendersonville. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So, honestly, you've heard whenever there are wars, you know, during the Civil War, there were preachers that believed that this was a sign. Yes. They wanted the rapture to happen. They were in a, it was awful. Of course, they wanted to be pulled out of this. Yeah, I can't imagine being a soldier in, well, any war flatly, but God, before modern medicine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, like, some modern ability to supply an army and stuff like that. You just kind of be out on a ledge with, a, you know, nothing. Yeah. No food. Yeah, supply, like modern supply is amazing. Forget medicine. Well, medicine's more important, but but yeah, the conditions were awful. Right. And then let's think about World War II. Let's just use World War II as an example. Wouldn't it be safe to say, the way you've been taught about Hitler, that he sounds like an antichrist? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And there's wars and rumors of wars, and then there were earthquakes. There's Guys, there's earthquakes all the time. 
when there are tectonic plates that are constantly happening. But he's talking about where they are, an earthquake where they are. There's going to be earthquakes in diverse places. You're going to hear about this. There's going to be rumors of war. And I'm going to get into this later. I'm going to show you where those rumors come from because they were coming from a real place. It really, this, these things really happened. So then he says in verse 8, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So he's saying, when you see all of this stuff, it's only the beginning, okay? It's, it's not the end of the age yet. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Who is you? The disciples. <laughs> and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, within the context, the disciples have said, when are you going to when are you going to be the king? When are you going to take over? Think about his response right now. Do you see? Mm-hmm. Think about how they must feel for a second. Put yourself in a disciple's shoes. Oh, shit's going to be real bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, no, wait a minute. I thought you were getting ready to like bring the hammer down. What do you mean that I'm going to be killed? Yeah, actually, yeah. you're, you're going to be put to death. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just so you know. Everybody's going to hate you. You're going to be hated. Oh, yeah. yeah, you'll be hated first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then he says, but you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations. For my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We're taught that that means salvation. Some people, you know, say if you don't endure, you could lose your salvation. He's actually not even talking about salvation at all. Think about the context. He's talking about a great tribulation and that a lot of people will grow cold and run away. And if you stay and you endure, because you stay, you'll be saved. Do you remember whenever Paul was in the ship and he says, if anybody jumps off the ship, you're going to die? That's because God told him if everyone remained on the ship, they would live. It wasn't about salvation. It was about their physical life. Like, if you stay on the ship, you're going to live. He's telling them there, if you endure, you're going to be saved. Like, you're not going to die in this time, right? And this gospel of the kingdom, verse 14, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay? Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Let's go back a little bit. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, who? Desolation? Who? So when you see... The disciples. Who? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I when see. you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So Jesus is describing this to the disciples... But this is a book. This is a book that was written. This is a letter. This is a gospel that was written. So now, in parentheses, it says, let the reader understand. It also says it in the book of Daniel. Let the reader understand. So it was meant to happen, but also to be recorded for us to read. All right? Now, then, so he says, let the reader understand. So that means it was later than the time that they were sitting there talking. Correct? Yeah, it seems you can like a put, response, yeah. Yeah, it's a, do put on your detective cap. There you go, all right? 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So there's your warning, disciples. If you see the abomination of desolation, just like Daniel spoke about, then if you're in Judea, there's your moment. Now, we're talking about earth-burning, great tribulation, the world cataclysmic ending, but it's localized. He says Judea. He didn't say anything about Asheville. This is a localized event. This is something that he's talking about in Judea. If it's a race to the hills of Judea, I feel like it's unfair. Yeah, because we're not going to make it easily. It's not, he's, anyway, okay. Then it says, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to his cloak. So why would he say that? Think about it for a second. Hurry. Yeah. When you see the abomination, hurry. Don't even grab your coat. Get out. Get out now. And so he's warning you, okay? Verse 19, And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. For the sake of those that were chosen, the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you... The disciples. (laughs) Look, here is the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, the ones that have been chosen. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That sounds very earth-ending, doesn't it? Yes. It does, right? Yeah. This is a chapter break. It's not a chapter break, but it's like they're breaking up the chapter. They're calling it the coming of the Son of the Man. This, this is apocalyptic. Okay? This is apocalyptic literature. This is how it's written. The sun will be darkened. Stars will fall from the sky, Right? The, the moon will lose its light. What's the what's the, the big word again that is the study of the end of time? Eschatology. Eschatology. Yeah. I'll remember it eventually. Yeah. It's, and basically, whenever Jesus starts talking about this, it's also spoken of in other books. Like, And I'm going to get into it through this study. You're going to find out that what we think is the sun is not our physical sun, and what we think is the moon is not the moon, and the stars are not the stars. It actually hails all the way back to Joseph and his father, Jacob, and a little dream that he had. And when you learn about that, 
then it will put it into context and you'll understand what's happening. It's not the earth being destroyed. Now, here we go. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Do you know how we talked about that, Cherry? You know, we had a little side conversation, Andy, about this, you know, Mm -hmm. because the disciples, after Jesus um, is risen from the dead, he's on the earth for 40 days. And he appears and disappears and appears and disappears. And then on the last day, his 40th day, he's talking to the disciples, and then he ascends like physically ascends up into a cloud. And then it says two angels look at the men and they say, what are you looking at? And they're like, you know, we just watched this dude like levitate into the sky. And he's like, the same way in which you saw him go is the same way he'll return. And so because of that, Cherry was like, well, did Jesus come back in the clouds? But again, it's apocalyptic literature, you know. And it's also important to understand that when Jesus stood before the chief priest before he was crucified... And the chief priest looks at him and says, are you the son of God or not? And he says, I am, and you will see the son of man coming in great glory, coming in the clouds with great glory and all his holy angels. He said it to the chief priest, and you will see it, you know? So now it says, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. It's it's like the whole thing just took a hard left. It did. Like we dropped one author and picked up an entirely different author. It, that's exactly right. And because of the language shift, people start splitting it apart. And they're like, okay, he's talking about something else, right? Now he's talking about something else. From the fig tree, verse 32, learn its lesson. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Now listen to this. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So, I mean, it's we got a lot more to go here, but I'm going to stop right there. If we keep things in context, and we imagine ourselves being a disciple, and we're listening to all these things that he's saying, we know that everything that he just described is something that is going to happen in their lifetime based Mm -hmm. on what they said. And there are scholars today that agree with me. There are many, many, many scholars, many, many preachers that believe that all of this prophecy has already been fulfilled. It happened. Mm -hmm. There are some that split it. Some that say, okay, all the way up to this one point, but the Son of Man hasn't came back yet. And so that's the one thing we're waiting on. And so because of that, well... I'm going to set out and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it using the scripture. Look forward to it. I'm telling you right now. You're going to get a lesson in history like you've never heard in your life by three historians that were non-believing Christians. They they weren't Christians. They were non-believers. And they wrote the story from the Jewish perspective, 
and from the Roman perspective and from the Greek perspective. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I don't know if Uncle AJ is going to come. Uh, I don't know either. Yeah. Right. All right. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a break from the from this Olivet discourse right, right quick. And I'm going to slide over because I want to show you something that Paul says, okay? So... Well, before you get into that, the one question that I was asked, if Christ has already came, then was everything that we now do in everyday life with salvation be vain, all being done in vain? And if Christ had already came, then where was the tribulation period? And were we in the tribulation period? And if Christ is no longer here, then how are people receiving salvation? Was the question I was asked? Okay, so those are all great questions. So I'll, I'm gonna and by answering these questions, I'm sort of giving away, you know, what we're getting ready to do in the study. But that's all right. Let's talk, let's think about it this way. So, does the church age ever end? Well, that's an interesting question. I didn't see that coming, well, and I, I don't know what it means. If you, if I'll describe you, it. To if you. you were to think that the rapture were to take place, then wouldn't you think that that would be the end of the church age? Because that would be who would be raptured out of here is the church. Mm -hmm. And so, by by talking about the rapture, your belief is that the church is going to be taken away before the tribulation. That's your that's the viewpoint you're coming from. That would be yes. Right. So where does it say that? Where where in the Bible does it say that the church is going to be raptured away? Now that I do not know. It's in Thessalonians is where the church is using it, but it's... I'm it, assuming when it says where I'll be changed. Yeah, in the moment in twinkling eye, I, and then we will be caught up in the air and forever, yeah, and ever be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Now, if you believe everything is going to be a physical representation of what we read, because you're Greek, we're all Greeks, and we're, we're looking at everything from physical point of view, and you forget the fact that everything that Jesus has been teaching his entire time on earth is about spiritual things, the kingdom of heaven. He says, no one can see it. You're going to go here and go there. The kingdom of God is in you, correct? Yes. And I've said on the podcast many times, who is the temple? We are. Right. Who is the holy city? The makeup of all the people. It's all of us. Yeah. I mean, so Jesus was talking about spiritual things, okay? Paul was talking about spiritual things. Because Christ was physically here on earth and he handled things physically, he was showing his power and his dominion over all the earth. But he said to Nicodemus, if I tell you of earthly things and you don't understand, then how can you even begin to understand heavenly things? Why is he saying it like that? You see? So the to why, answer— Sorry, why is he saying it like that? Because basically what, what he tells him is that you need to be born again. Okay. And so, so he says, well, how can I be born— Again, do I enter again into my mother's womb? We think that he's joking, but I wonder if it was a real question. Like, okay, so how do I do this? You know, and Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So what Jesus is saying is that there is going to be, you're going to be born again in the spirit world. So if you're born again in the spirit world, and you've heard this, and you are now seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus right now, it says it, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, if it says it, then think about that for a second. You're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's a spiritual thing that this is trying to describe. The physical world where they had to cut the neck, you know, of a 
or slice the neck of a lamb and take the blood and sprinkle it and the physical natures of all these things, mm-hmm. he was bringing to an end because he was the final perfect sacrifice. Do you remember how God was disappointed because Israel wanted a king? Yes. But who did he want to be their king? David. Before before the David and before Saul, he wanted oh, him. to be their king. Yes. Right? And you needed to have a priest, you mm-hmm. know, in order to to enter into the Holy of Holies to mm-hmm. for the sins of the people. Okay, so what did Jesus end up becoming? Jesus is priest, king, temple, everything. Mm-hmm. He's the all in all. He is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. So if we if we constantly think of things in a physical realm world, then we're going to lose it because we live in a physical world. We're we're going to forget that this is a spiritual thing. It's the thing that we we wrestle with all the time. All the time, you know, we we have our daily life, we live there's a belief that if Christ comes and all of a sudden then we're going to be dancing around and nobody's going to be sinning and everybody's going to be happy and there's no more tears like because it says it. Mhm. Correct? Just like yes. the Aussie song. Yeah. <laughs> no more tears. Sorry. <laughs> and funny enough, all the Christians know the words. Let's go, okay, Cherry. Oh, <laughs> no. gracious. <laughs> so the rapture of the church that is being taught is a relatively new thing. The church in the old time didn't believe in the rapture. It didn't come around until like 1830. Huh. Do you yeah, know who the, kind of a leading proponent of it was or where who kind of introduced it more into the mainstream? You might not. But no, just, I do. I just you, you caught me off guard. I can't remember his name. Um if it's I'm just dropping things, don't mind me. No, no, no worries. Let's get into this. Uh let me um sorry, I treat you like like you have like a magic retrieval of all knowledge. Like even vaguely pertaining to the Bible. I just have to find my notes. Just give me a well, second. So, yeah, and the word rapture, we know it's not in the Bible. Right. And then uh, his name is John Darby. Yeah, John Darby. Um, And I'll read to you. I'll give you a definition of it. How about that? The rapture is an eschatological, theological position held by some Christians, particularly within branches of American evangelicalism. And notice it says American. Because this is not happening around the world. It's happening in America. We're the ones that are driving this, okay? Consisting of an end-time event. Oh, when, so it's, that's, that's fascinating. So that's just kind of a more widely held belief in America than other, like, Christian countries, kind of? Yeah, and think about what was going on. Like, shortly after that, here comes the war, and, you know, he's teaching this view. Yeah. And then Schofield gets on board, and he creates his Schofield Bible— and in the Bible are notes that are trying to help you understand what the rapture of the church is and how the Great Tribulation will fit. And then the ages, you'll hear preachers say, I don't necessarily agree with Schofield, especially about this yeah. age and that age and this age and that, you know, because they're they're breaking out the ages that, you know. And so the this purports more of this information out into the mainstream than more and more preachers are reading mm-hmm. these notes and they're preaching this doctrine. It's growing, it's growing. Here comes D.L. Moody. Boom. D.L. Moody takes this gospel and he goes all the way across the nation. Then Dallas Theological Seminary comes into play and they're teaching this doctrine. Huh. And now all of a sudden so these what, preachers are coming out. What is this timeline just loosely? Um, I would say from 1830 up to the present. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's yeah. relatively new in, in regard to like this kind of ancient stuff, right? Right. So yeah, uh, John Nelson Darby 
It says the the theory grew out of the translations of the Bible that John Nelson Darby analyzed in 1833. Uh, Pre-tribulationism is the most widely held view among Christians believing in the rapture today. Although this view is disputed with evangel within evangelicalism, some assert a post-tribulational rapture. So, even for those that believe in the rapture, they some believe that the church is going to be whisked away beforehand, and some believe yep, it's going right. to be after. So you have all these sects that believe specific ways, and they have their verses of Scripture as to why they believe it. Every one of them do not consider Christ's time statements at all. Huh. Yeah. There are those—Jesus literally says this, there are those standing here today who will not taste death until these things take place. Mm-hmm. So you guys know who C.S. Lewis is? Yes. Yeah. And I've, have I told you what he said? About the— Misquote. That it's the most embarrassing scripture in the Bible. We're talking about an apologetic master. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Mere Christianity, and also the Chronicles of Narnia. Which are excellent. <clears throat> they are, they're guess. excellent, yeah. Especially when you find out that he and J.R.R. Tolkien were really good friends, and they oh, were no in a battle. They were That's in a amazing. battle on who could write the best children's fantasy story. Ha! And so, Funny. The Lord of the Rings? And yeah. Yeah. The Lion, the and Witch, the, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Bam. Which, they come the out. The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe is way more for children than, yes. than The Lord, Lord of the, of the Rings. Rings. I mean, The Hobbit is almost a children's book. The I would Lord say of the Rings that that's, is not. I, th- I would say that's accurate for American children, but not necessarily English children. English children, they can handle that Lord of the Rings stuff pretty really? well. Oh, Ugh. yeah, they're hardcore, man. It's pretty... Yeah. Think it's, about it. It's a little slow, even as an adult. When they it. were writing these books, kids were being carted out of London on trains into the country to stay with people they didn't know because the Germans were bombing the mm, city. Right. They could handle a little bit of funkiness, you know? <laughs> they could handle it. So if your if your viewpoint is that, well, you know, the, the church is going to get raptured out before all the trouble happens, and then all the trouble happens, and this is, you know— there are too many breaks from the time statements that Jesus gives, that that Daniel gives, the way that they're trying to understand. There's too many that are having to be ripped out of context to make this work. Right. I completely disagree with it now. I don't have all knowledge, and am I a full hyper-preterist, and praetor meaning past, and preterist mean we believe that the second coming has already happened— you know, I haven't even taken a full, like, oh, yeah, I got it, but I'm studying it very, you know— in depth yeah. mm-hmm. because I want to understand it. Because if that's the case, then are we in the new heaven and the new earth? And that would, you would have the argument. It was like, this sucks, you know? Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, and is this in vain? So my question to you was originally, does the church age ever end? Only if the rapture occurs. It would be my answer. So whenever Jesus talks about the gathering of the elect and the four winds, Mm-hmm. Would you say that would safely would be what the rapture is? I don't know. I mean, via our conversation earlier, you were saying to remember to keep it into context. Yeah. Now, think of it in a spiritual way. Let's not think about physical. Let's imagine that tribulation that he's describing is mm-hmm. real physical tribulation. Okay. That the end of the age is coming, that the real physical city of Jerusalem is under attack and sieged. Mm-hmm. Okay that the temple is destroyed physically, burned. When that happens, physically, what ends? Sacrifice. Yeah. The law. Okay. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Right. So what he says on the Mount of Olives is, this is a moment. I have said that I'm going to leave their house desolate. 
Mm-hmm. When you see that, by the time you see that temple destroyed, the Son of Man has come. Mm-hmm. That's where the war in heaven is happening. There is a spiritual war happening simultaneously with an earthly destruction of a temple. So you say that's the end of the church age? No. no. The church age never ends. Okay, because I was going to say, I thought we were the church. So I was like, we, are. Oh, we, we, not, we would not end, right? Yeah, the church age okay. happened when the temple was destroyed. So Pentecost came. Mm-hmm. I wish I could show you. I'm sorry this is a podcast because I can't. I'm going to try to describe it as best as I can. Imagine a rectangle or even a square, and you take from the upper left-hand corner of the square, you make a diagonal line all the way to the bottom right-hand side. So now you have two triangles, two right triangles. Mm -hmm. So on the left-hand side, there's a big line, and then it slowly works its way down to a point, correct? Mm -hmm. But if you go to the upper left-hand corner, that's also the point of another triangle that works its way to a big line, okay? Imagine on the bottom left triangle that that's Judaism, Christ dies, is resurrected, and ascends. The clock starts. The big line starts working its way down to a small point where it's finally done and the temple is destroyed. Mm -hmm. The point, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit is here. He is through the disciples. The gospel is being shared. It is now the church age. It is beginning. One age is dying. The other one is happening. Happening. If you pay attention to that, it grows, right? The only difference is, is that on the top right-hand triangle, it never ends. It just goes on forever. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. All right, so Hebrews 13, 20. I'm going to go to that real quick. Now, you want to read it? You read it, Cherry. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in that verse 20, before it went to 21, it says the blood of the what? Everlasting covenant. Boom. There you go. It's a covenant that never ends. So we we split these words up. Old Testament, New Testament, Okay. It should read Old Covenant, New Covenant, because the Old Covenant, God made a promise. Abraham, many nations, mm-hmm. your, all nations will be blessed through your seed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, but Moses comes, here comes the Mosaic law. This is when God brings the law. He chooses his people. I am Yahweh. I am your God. You are my people. You'll have no other gods but me. This is it. You're going to follow what I say. 613 laws and ramifications of those laws, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what you have to do. And it's through blood, through blood sacrifice. But then he tells his prophets all throughout the time, there's going to be one. He's going to come. I'm going to provide a lamb. He's going to be spotless. He's going to be blameless. And when I provide him, he is going to take away the iniquity of all of you once and for all. That's the promise. Mm -hmm. Well, those people that God had gave those promises to killed God. You get it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. If he is the son of God and that's blasphemy, you can't blasphemy. You're making yourself equal with God. If they killed, they killed God. Behold. I leave to your house desolate. There are those standing in front of me right now who are not going to taste death until all these things take place. And then to find out 
literally 40 years later, a generation, every bit of it was destroyed. All of it. Yeah. So that everlasting covenant, the church age never ends. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yes. All right. So I want to show you something else that's kind of neat. Did you have something, Andy? No, sometimes I just lean in in case I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the anticipation. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Matthew is a fantastic book. I mean, it's the gospel that really leans in. Remember, the, he says that he is the son of Abraham, the son of David, and he's trying to prove the Messiahship. The mm-hmm. whole way through, you're starting to understand that you are literally in a second exodus. That's awesome. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. Mm-hmm. Like the second exodus. And you're here you go, and you're gonna, he's going to take you to the new covenant. Instead of it being given down to Moses on the mountain with the law, he is the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he is the one that's bringing all this stuff. So Matthew, did I say 1231? Yes. All right, so let's have you read that. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in the world, neither in the world to come. Okay. Now, that word, world, are you you're ringing out of the King James? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pull up my King James Bible real quick. I want to do a Strong's Concordance study. I believe that word is eon, but I can't remember. Let's see. And it matters a lot, actually, if it is. So 1231. Yeah, eon and world changed that pretty significantly. Yeah, big time, right? So let's take a look. So let's see what word this is. 31. All right. So world, it's eon from the same properly in age. So it's an age. Yeah, an eon is a. So neither in this age nor in the age to come. Okay, so if he says that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not okay in this age or in the age to come, we call it the sin against the Holy Spirit, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. So did you hear what I just said? Never. We believe because we were taught that there would be no sin in the next age. You see, after the end, after the destruction, there's a capability of mm-hmm. sin. You can sin against the Holy Spirit in the next age, right? Yeah, it wouldn't be an issue if it wasn't possible. Right. Right, yeah. That makes sense. Okay, and, so... Yeah, my, just, I just, colloquially, yeah, uh, uh, my understanding of Eon is like an absurdly long time. It's like a hand-waving amount of time, mm-hmm. an Eon from now. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I don't know why I felt like that was important. Right. And so the King James translators used world in this world or in the world to come. And you you can call it whatever you want. You can call it the old world and the new world, however mm-hmm. you want to call it. But from an eschatological point of view, that's the next world. But Eon is saying age because Jesus is explaining to them because they don't know that he's coming back a second time at the time. They, he had told them that I was going to, you know, he said, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to resurrect, but they didn't remember. They forgot. But after, there would be certain times it said, and he opened the mind, and they understood the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So 
it took that revelation to the men to understand what God was doing with mankind at the time. Okay. Okay. So let's do some noodle baking for a second. Okay. And then we're going to wrap up this episode because I've got a whole lot more to do, but I want to get back to that Thessalonians thing that I'd said okay. when you said, but before we get to that, uh-huh. I'm going to do a full round circle. I'm so glad I remember that. I want to bake your noodle for a second. In my very first episode here, I talked about who created the world. And I had proven through the New Testament that it was Christ that was the actual creator of the world, correct? Mm-hmm. Through yeah. the yeah, I feel like you, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, you said, hey, I don't buy it, even in the context of the Bible. And I get it, and that's fine. How do you take—how does this work? Okay. So, I want you to think back, all right? So, when I was an atheist, I had a problem with these fairy tale stories and, you know, getting swallowed by the whale and getting spit up on land and walking on water and all of this— the demonic stuff. Like I struggled with it a lot. But the one thing that really stuck with me was on a bad drug trip. Okay. It was bad. How about that? So what I did was me and some buddies decided to huff Scotch guard. <laughs> I think you even talked about this before. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah. And I don't know if you were here, Cherry, but basically I looked at the clock and it said one eleven, and I was like, it was stuck in time forever. So I want to do a little noodle baking, right? So if you're an evolutionist, and you believe that the Big Bang is in fact how it happened. I'm going to tell you that I agree with you. I do. If you're a creationist and you believe that God created the world, I'm going to tell you that I agree with you, because I do. Because I think they're simultaneous events. I think it's how it works. Yeah, I I never saw how those things were in conflict. If you believe in an all-powerful God, then why can't that be the way he decided to create the world and, you know, the interpretation of the Bible aside. Yeah, know, I mean, it's uh-huh. the argue about time again. You yeah, know, it just doesn't scientists seem... say, hey, it's so many billions of years, and Christians read the Bible and they say, nope, can't be. There's so much flexibility in that belief anyway. I don't see why there's not room to be like, yeah, maybe that's how he did it. Yeah. Like, for me, it was easy. Like, let there be light. Bang! <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a sure. bang. You know? Of course, that was loud light. Usually light's pretty quiet, but who knows, you know? But this this now, please, please. From now on, we are all to pretend that that is the sound that was made at creation. <laughs> yes, Bang. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So no, it's fine. If you if we go back in time to prior to the Big Bang when this happened, perhaps you're a believer in the multiverse. I don't have a problem with that. You can have, you can think about a multiverse. You might even have some proof. You might even be able to, you know, mathematically prove the multiverse to me if you'd like. You could prove string theory to me. It's a theory, but you could prove it to me. It would not shake my foundation about intelligent design. You know, I've seen some things that don't look so intelligent, but hey, <laughs> but yeah. in all reality, you know, I, I've heard people say, uh, take a bomb, go into a library, set it off, and then 100 years later, a perfect Oxford Dictionary, you know, after all those tatters kind of lands together and forms and lands on the ground. That's kind of a neat little, you know, similar... I've heard more the the thousand monkeys at a thousand typewriters with infinite time thing, but... <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this, but if you go back, let's just go back for a second, and let's think about prior to... God saying, let there be light, prior to the Big Bang. And let's say that it is God, or let's say that it is the universe, whatever you want to call it. 
uh, when you ask them, well, how did the Big Bang start? Well, it's, you know, these there were gases and it got super hot and then it reached critical mass and then it exploded and then the universe, this portion of the universe that we live in began to grow and expand, you know, and they believe that it expands and contracts whatever, any of it. I don't care. Believe whatever you want. I don't care. Just get back to the beginning where the gases came from. We don't know. What generated the heat? We don't know. What was before the heat? What was, we don't know. But if it's God, if it's the God that the Hebrews are talking about, who says he was and is, whenever whenever God comes to Moses and says, go and get my people, this is Yahweh. This is the one who created all things. Mm -hmm. And he says, who should I tell him? His name was, I am. And just think about that for a minute. He always was. Mm-hmm. He never had a beginning. It bakes my brain, guys. Yeah, that does anything about the beginning of the universe is pretty. It's noodle cooking for me, man. Yeah, you're going to run into a wall no matter what you believe. And you just, mm-hmm. exactly, no matter what you believe. And and if you, again, if you decide to believe in the multiverse and that all of this was, you know, through chaos and then order came out of chaos, I mean, you can believe it. with enough time, all kinds of things can happen. You know, I get it. But I look at it. I look at it as a, a design. I, I see designs and things. I see amazing things. And that's just little old ignorant me. You know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm not a chemist. Like, I don't, I don't know how this stuff works. I can just tell you that from my perspective, when I go back to my little noodle cooked brain of being a finite human being, I just find I am. That's who I find. And the Hebrews got it, man. If even if they were wrong, boy, they did a great job describing that. I am. Yeah. You know, what a great way of saying it. Always is. So by the time, let's move back to where my question was. I just I said that because I want you to take into perspective about who we're talking about. Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, telling these men this is getting ready to happen. And if you want, you can ask why. Why did God do all this? Go for it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I am has always been. I am decides what I am wants. Mm -hmm. And we are a part of that. Whether we like it or not, we are. Now, we can argue this point for the rest of our lives. I have no interest in doing it. (laughs) But so I want to show you the one last thing we'll do, and we'll shut this one down, okay? I want you to think about Paul. Now, Paul the Apostle, we talked about the mystery of God. I gave you a little backstory on who, you know, Shaul of Tarsus was and how he became Paul or what it was called. His Hellenistic name was Paul. So Paul's first letter that he wrote was to the Thessalonians in, in the city of Thessalonica. And in the book of Acts, he goes there. And then he leaves and he travels all the way down to Corinth. He writes the letter to the Thessalonians while he's in Corinth. Timothy goes back. He takes the letter there, and then Timothy comes back down to Corinth, and then like five months five months later, Paul writes the second letter to the Thessalonians, and it sends it to it, okay? So this is one of the first letters, and it's one of the oldest letters that they have found, like in modern times when they look back. this They know this was the first letter. So I'm going to read in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Remember, this is to the Thessalonians. 
okay? So the Thessalonian believers were suffering because of their faith in Christ. All of the surrounding people were persecuting them for believing this, okay? It was against Judaism. It was blasphemy in their eyes, and so they were literally dragging them and, and killing them and beating them, and they were being persecuted. So Paul wants to comfort them, okay? Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's only a verse later, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-8. So, who was he talking to? The Thessalonians. Thessalonians. And how did he say they would get relief? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Hmm. So, was he lying... Was Paul lying? No. How would that be any source of comfort if that actually didn't happen? Think about it. If this is an earth-burning, world-ending, cataclysmic event, right? Mm-hmm. If, the, if they're suffering in all of this, in the midst of this, you know, Paul tells them, when the Lord comes, you'll be comforted. He's talking to them. And you're talking about the man that had the revelation of God, the mystery that was given to him. God told him how these things were going to happen. So you've got this one man after Christ, this one man that's been given this mystery, and his whole life is turned upside down. And it it is wrecked. He is persecuted beyond mm-hmm. to the... I mean, this man, what an amazing human being. That guy went through it, but he never gave up. And he told them, let me comfort you. Okay. I want to comfort you with this. Now, um, let's read Second Thessalonians chapter 2. This is where Paul goes on. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Remember me sending this to mm-hmm. you, Jerry? So he's telling them, hey, as far as the coming of the Lord Jesus, okay, and us being gathered to him, we don't want you to be quickly shaken or, or mistaken here. And don't believe that there's some letter that's coming from us or whatever, okay? Because he's going to explain it. Not to be easily shaken in your thinking or anxious because of a spirit. This is, I looked at the complete Jewish Bible. Because I, you know, I look at all different versions. The complete Jewish Bible says it like this: not to be easily shaken in your thinking, or anxious because of a spirit, or a spoken message, or a letter supposedly from us claiming that the day of the Lord has already come. So the question was: there were some Thessalonians that had been told that the resurrection of the dead had already occurred, mm-hmm. and they were getting upset. And Paul says, "Don't get upset. As far as the coming of the Lord Jesus, don't don't get upset because." This is what he says. He's going to tell them here in just a second. But let me ask you this question. If it was an earth-ending world, cataclysmic event, do you not think those Thessalonians could look out their window and notice that it hadn't happened yet? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that they maybe thought that what was going to happen might not be physical and it could be spiritual? 
I don't know. See? I don't know. I mean, possible people think all sorts of weird things. Maybe they just thought it would, uh, you know, take a couple weeks to get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, really? By yeah. camel. Yeah, exactly. Right? So the fact is, Paul, he tells them about the sun, you know, he talks about the abomination of desolation, those things that have to occur first before any of these, these things will happen, will happen, all right? So throughout Matthew's gospel, he's constantly warning the Jews of the coming judgment. He has been telling them of the judgment. And Paul sort of reemphasizes that. But here's something that Jesus said, Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Did he not say that? Mm-hmm. Jesus said, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's talking about the ruling powers of Israel at the time. Then in a parable, Matthew 22, 7, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's talking to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. He's telling them, you're going to see this coming and I'm going to tell you how to know. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. So, let me see. Especially given that, it does seem very, very immediate and contextual, especially given that last part, really. Yeah. The, um, so they... So let's prove that the disciples knew who he was in this conversation. Matthew 16, 15 through 16, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter knew who he was. He says it in front of the disciples. So they, yes, they think he's the Messiah. That's Matthew 16, long before 24. And then they knew that he would come and rule. Okay, they didn't have any idea of a second coming. So here in John chapter 12, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? So they're, they're curious. They believe he's going to last forever. But he says in John chapter 13, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. That would have been horrible. For them to know that. Later on in John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. But by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, Simon, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? He was concerned. He didn't, you know, he he totally missed the love part, you know. But wait, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. But if you remember, you remember after Jesus was crucified? Remember, Peter denies him. Mm-hmm. Jesus was crucified. Peter's sitting, he's like, I'm going fishing. fishing. Yeah. Guess it's over. He forgot. He thought when Jesus was dead that it was over because he didn't know that that's what had to happen, even though Jesus told him. So Jesus is telling the disciples, they're sitting right in front of him. In one of the Gospels, it's, they're asking him, right? Now, I'm almost done. I promise. I promise. Um, how much time are we on, Andy? Oh, it's hard to say because I pulled in that other bit. But uh, we're at 74 minutes. So whatever, okay. how, minus however long that little outtake is. Yeah. 
All right, so let's read the first verse of Hebrews. I want you to read it. Read it in King James, Cherry. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. I, I'm jumping around a little bit because I want everybody to see that the disciples didn't know. He tells the disciples on the Mount of Olives. Then after Pentecost, after Jesus has ascended and after Pentecost and the church age has begun, then there is a 40-year period, okay, from the time when Paul comes in, he's spreading the gospel. The gospel is supposed to be reached across the whole world. We'll get into that in a later episode. But listen very carefully. Read both 1 and 2. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Okay. Now, so it said God who at sundry times and in divers manners, right? Spoke to us. Spoke to us by his Son. But... Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Okay, I'm going back before. So long ago, like, read it at the very beginning. God, who at sundry times times and in divers manners spake in time, passed unto the fathers by the prophets. So stop right there. So he said, God, who at sundry times. It means in many different times, in the context. It's different times, different ways. God spoke to us in the time past by the prophets. But then what? Hath in those last days spoken unto us by his son. In what days? Those last these last days. These last days of what? The age. <laughs> I just thought it was the like end of the world. Recent. Yeah, I, mean, I thought yeah. it was like recently. These last days, like these days before this one was. How yeah. Hath in these it. last days spoken unto mm-hmm. us by his son, whom he hath appointed. Yeah. Hebrews office. was written shortly before the temple was destroyed. The temple was still in existence at the time. In these last days, he's spoken to us by the Son. Revelation chapter 1. Let's go there. That book. Just read the first verse. (laughs) The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. How soon? Shortly. Shortly. Can you concordance that bad boy? Yeah. Would you like me to? Yeah. What's that? What's up with that shortly? Yeah. Is that a real shortly or is it a longly? Is it a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make light of it. These people believe this wholeheartedly and it's okay. I understand it. But shortly means a brief space of time yeah, in so, haste. So shortly. So shortly means shortly. Yeah. Okay. Brief space of time. Um, All right, so let's keep on going down, Cherry. Read, uh, read verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. What does that mean? Now. Yeah, seems to, seems to be self-consistent there. Self-consistent, absolutely. Let's go. Um, let's go to the very end. Of Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Okay. Surely I come quickly. 
All of these things are in time. It's fast. It's in haste. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you what the mark of the beast actually was. I'm going to show you what the number 666, what it meant um, in the Greek, but it was a Hebrew number and the way that it was used and um, how it spells out Nero Caesar, who was the emperor of the time. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, and and also that mark. We're going to get into what you said, Andy, a long, long time ago. Like, what was that mark? We're going to get into what that mark was. So all of these things happened in the past. Now, like I said, <coughs> some people will split this apart, and they will they say all kinds of. We have to remember, he says this generation, not that generation. He could have explained it very thoroughly. According to C.S. Lewis, it was the most embarrassing verse in the Bible that he made a mistake, but he gave himself a little, you know, way out by saying the sun doesn't know, right? He says the day or the hour. He never said anything about the time or the year. Yeah. Only God knows. Yeah. So basically... I don't know why I had to say it like that. Yeah. (laughs) Only God knows. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so we'll pick up that... Next week. Now, I wanted to, uh, from a side, <laughs> have you guys ever heard, like, you know what a church bulletin is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a literal bulletin in a church? Yes, exactly. So, um, I found something very funny that I wanted to uh, read to you guys. So, here is a <laughs> here is a list of some church bulletin mistakes. The senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. <laughs> Bar- That's an unfortunate yeah. Yeah, typo. Sister Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She is also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. <laughs> Applications are now being accepted for two-year-old nursery workers. <laughs> The no. ladies of the church have cast off clothing of every kind. They may be seen in the basement on Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> the associate minister unveiled the church's new tithing campaign slogan last Sunday, I upped my pledge, up yours. <laughs> <laughs> this evening at 7 p.m., there will be a hymn singing in the park across from the church. Bring a blanket and come prepared to sin. Oh, that's that is apparently a common enough. One. Yes, Sorry, singing and sinning is just you know that G and that N. It gets yeah. them every time. You know, <laughs> um, church office will be closed Monday. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a typo. <laughs> a song fest was hell at the Methodist Church Wednesday instead of hell. <laughs> A cookbook is being compiled by the ladies of the church. Please submit your favorite recipe, also a short antidote for it. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> nice. Well, um, and the last one I'll do, this is a great one. This was uh, at a wedding uh, at the church bulletin. It says, Diana and Don request your presence at the wedding. Presence spelling P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Nice. <laughs> Oh, right gosh. to the point. That's right. Well, Uncle AJ never made it. Nope. He must, hopefully Malachi gets in the school. It must have been a good talk. So 
Thank you yeah. very much, Cherry. Are you convinced? Have you converted? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as we bring the whole... How about dro- you, Andy? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to bring the whole drove of asses into this next week, and we're going to get into it a little bit deep. I'll send you guys all the notes out this weekend. Actually, tomorrow. I've got them. I'll send them tomorrow. But I really want you to look into it because um, I would like for somebody to prove me wrong. I need you to. If it, Do you understand? Like, I believe that eschatology, the study of end times, it takes up 24 to 25% of the Bible eschatological teaching. It is important. It is important. And to say, well, I believe, you know, if Jesus has already come back, then what's the use? Well, if the church age never ends and we are to share the gospel, if this is the new heaven and new earth and you feel like you got the shaft, maybe we need to redefine some words because you've been taught a specific paradigm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to set about to do is to show you some different understanding. And I'm going to use the Old Testament to do it because the Old Testament and the New Testament go together. And the New Testament's the primer for the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is the teacher of the new. Mm -hmm. So they have to work together. And when you understand them together, the words make sense and revelation makes sense and all the time statements make sense. And they line up with Daniel and Zechariah and Joel. And okay. I am driving it home, pal. It's a big. That's it seems like a. That's a big. Yeah. Thing. This. That's what she said. Oh. <laughs> I got. I got her doing it now too. <laughs> yeah. Throw in a. Thank you. I'll, I'll take all shot. the help I can get. No problem. Me too. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cherry. Thanks, Andy. We'll see you next time thanks, on the Birds of Berea. Bye. I was like, oh, this is so hilarious. It's the blonde jokes I can just imagine are going through this guy's head like, come on, stupid, figure it out. It's not that hard. Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, Brian Regan talks about being in the gym, and he said, uh, never really been to a gym before. And he said, I have my clipboard, and I was wearing black socks. <laughs> 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 and then he said, and then I saw this contraption, I'm like... I don't even know how to use this thing. And he's like, but I'm too embarrassed. I'm not going to ask anybody. You know, I got to be a stud. I'm going to do my thing. So he gets into it. And he said, he starts wrestling with it. And he's like, you know, pulling things around. And the, the, the guy comes up to him, you know, from the front desk. And he says, sir, do you mind getting out of the painter scaffolding? <laughs> he's like, sorry. And he said, this other guy tries to lead him over. And he says, he said, uh, he doesn't even have a neck. You know, <laughs> this guy's big. He doesn't even have a neck. And he was like, he's from some foreign country where they don't use vowels. So his name's like Kidiskusfadiskaden. <laughs> Brian uh, Regan's hilarious. Does he have a new, a newer hour? I love that guy. That he's was really that funny. one's old. It's an old one. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that. Whichever one that. Happens it was the it was this Comedy Central presents back in the day when they used to do those presents. You know. Uh-huh. I'm gonna have to look that up now. He's real funny, and I don't think I've seen that one. So yeah, it's a pretty good one. Are we rolling, Andy?